Welcome to another edition of Revealing the Diamond. I'm your host, Tiago Prem. Today on the show, we're talking about intention, the power of intention, how it can guide us in our lives, but also how it can be revealed as we move through the different choices and experiences that we choose and create and experience. So today's all about intention. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. So before we get going, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening to this new season of the show. It's been a real honor to share. And one of the great things about this season is I've been writing a lot. And so if you want to read the writing that inspires the episodes, there's two ways to do it. The first is you go to tiagaprem.com and go to the journal section, and you can read all of the articles and pieces there that have inspired me along this journey. Or the other option, and or both are great, is to go to Medium. If you go to medium.com or if you get the app on your phone, Medium, and search Tiago Pram, I'll put the link in the show notes. You can also read the articles there. So check out the journal on the tiagopram.com website, or you can also check me out on Medium. If you're listening to the show on audio, I want to give you a heads up. I, I've mentioned this in the last couple of episodes, and I'll continue to mention it. Very exciting. The video version of Revealing the Diamond is now not only available on YouTube, check us out on YouTube, but also the video version is on Spotify. So if you have Spotify, you like to listen to podcasts, check Revealing the Diamond out on Spotify and you can listen to, well, you can choose audio or video. So that's very exciting. And then, of course, we're still available on Apple Podcasts and uh, I believe the Google platform as well. So whatever serves you, I just want to let you know that the video is available on Spotify and also on YouTube.com. Big thank you to our sponsor, Minds Dye. Thank you for everything you do for the show. Minds Dye makes custom dyed whatever you want, kimonos, bed sheets, sweatsuits, you name it. She can dye it. She does an incredible job. Check her out, Minds Dye on Instagram, or you can go to the Minds Dye on the Etsy store to make your purchase. If you want to get in uh, into the show and become a sponsor, then Go ahead, get in touch, go to Tiago Prem at tiagoprem.com, and we would love to have you as a sponsor on the show. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about intention, and I'm just going to uh, bring up the piece for reference. This is a working title, so it, may, it might change. The title is Revealing Intention, and then in brackets, and Intention Revealing. Sort of challenging to put this one into uh, words, but I'm going to attempt to do it, and then we'll go through it. You know, you think about like when you say a prayer before you eat a meal, or before a plane takes off, or you set an intention at the start of your yoga practice, or you hear about mindfulness, or moving with intention, or being prayerful, and the way it works is you're not, you're sort of not going just going like this is how it's going to be like goal setting or something like that it's more like you set an intent of how you would like it to be and then while you're in motion you're paying attention to how it is and maybe merging the two so it's like some part of you has an individual will and some part of you has god's will or the will of the divine 
And you, some part of you that is, you know, we're all made in the image of God, so some part of us knows what we're being called to do, and then some part of us is being influenced by our environment, conditions, ego, etc. So there's a part of us that is that God's will, and then there's a part of us that is our will, and they're very intertwined, and then there's God's will for us that is there before we're even born, and, and it starts to reveal itself as we go. So that's kind of where I was going, where I'm like, your intention is being revealed uh, uh, to you as you go, but also your intention is revealing where it is that you're meant to go. I hope that makes sense. It definitely makes sense to me. So uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this piece with you and uh, this part of my life, this journey that I've been on. And uh, I would love for you to check out the writing. If you want to check out the writing, you can do that on medium.com or go to tiagaprem.com. Okay, so let's get into it. I've changed so much over the years, which has been confusing for some people, including myself. And if you've been following my journey, you know, you may see the shifts and changes and wonder what's coming next. And I think I'm starting to recognize where the confusion stems from, for myself and for others. And that confusion is about, uh, I haven't been clear in my intention. And that doesn't mean that I haven't um, been clear in stating my intention. I haven't been clear in uh, discovering my intention. It's a work in progress, okay? On the surface, it's looked like I've been trying to be a better, in chronological order, son, Christian, basketball player, skateboarder, musician, punk rocker, DJ, record collector, drinker, partier, drug taker, drug dealer, graffiti artist, lover, player, club promoter, sneaker collector, Buddhist, yogi, yoga teacher, traveler, father, Sikh, sober person, studio owner, mentor, uncle, vegan, the list goes on and on and on. And some of you have probably been there for aspects of that or parts of that in my life. And, you know, we're talking about 30 years here of experience. Well, probably that would put me at 10, um, probably a little bit before that too. But these are all uh, roles that I've played uh, in my life. And while it may seem like on the surface that I'm just on to the next phase, what has really been happening is that I've been realigning with my intentions. And these intentions have become clearer as I've passed through all of these incarnations. And these intentions are, I want to be loved. I want to learn to really love. I want to be free from addiction and successful in recovery. I want to really know God with deep, loving devotion. I want to be healed. And I want to serve others in their healing. I have tried so many ways of doing this. See the list above? So, you know, that chronological order list. And I'm still learning and growing Early on in the list of incarnations, I can see that I was seeking to A, honor my father and mother, and B, feel close to Jesus, which, by the way, I did early on in life. And not because I was told to, but because I genuinely did. 
Then I wanted to be seen by my peers. I loved music and sports, and so that was the route I took to be seen. And to be honest, I think my need to be validated in the practices I enjoyed as a youth kept me from really exploring what I loved about them. My vanity and need for approval kept me from really deeply experiencing what was special about music, basketball, etc. I once heard David Bowie say that any time he recorded an album that he thought his fans would like, it fell short. So playing to the crowd, right? And then any time he recorded an album for himself, like, I just, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel called to create. Uh, despite the warnings of record producers and studio execs that it wouldn't sell, the album became a classic, a masterpiece. So the idea, just to be clear there, is that whenever he would make a record that he thought people would like, it didn't land. And whenever he created a record, because he just had to create it, he felt that inner pull, it would become a classic or a masterpiece. I saw a meme the other day when I was uh, scrolling through social media that said, you know, when David Bowie died, that's when things really took a, a turn for the worst on the, on the planet, planet, essentially, and it made me smile. I don't know that it's necessarily true, but I do reflect on my youth and the times of David Bowie and thinking, life just seemed simpler then. <laughs> Anyhow, I did a lot of playing to the crowd. Yes, there were moments when I was showing up for the game or for the music because I truly loved it. But a lot of the time, my experiences were colored by my expectations of who was watching. What were they going to think? Was I going to perform well? Was I going to score enough? Were people going to come to the party? This caused me to think that perhaps my passions, music, basketball, faith in Jesus, were not as valuable as the validation I was seeking from others. And this was pre-social media, y'all. So I moved into drugs and alcohol, promiscuity, and the party life. And there was a lot of attention to be garnered there. You know, who can drink the most, who can get the highest, who can sell the most drugs, who can have the most sex with the best-looking girls, etc., etc. The highs were really high, but the lows were really low. I ended up feeling empty, sick, lost, and confused. And this cycle went on for many years. I didn't feel loved or loving at all. I started to experience symptoms of addictive behavior. The only time I would feel close to God was when I'd really messed up and I couldn't feel any sense of hope at all, when I was sick and tired of hurting other people constantly. So I'd make an attempt to get back to my intentions. I want to be loved. I want to be... I want to learn. I want to learn to really love. I want to be free from addiction I want to really know God with deep, loving devotion. I want to be healed, and I want to serve others in their healing. I heard a quote uh, from Madonna that stuck with me through the years where she said that she always knew that she wanted to be a nun or a rock star. And that one really, I was, it was like looking in a mirror, <laughs> listening in a mirror. Eventually, the pain became... Uh, too much to manage. 
So I surrendered in quiet desperation, and I went to a Christian rehab center. At the intake session, the director told me that this place is harder than jail because you have the key. You can walk out at any time. I lasted three months of the one-year live-in treatment program, and then I bailed. And he was right. It was harder than jail because I held the key in my hand, and when things got hard, I'd just go, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. It didn't take 24 hours for me to be high again, wondering what the f I was doing with my life. And so I slumped back with my tail between my legs to the treatment center, and I had to start again. And there is nothing more humbling, my friends, than being in a 12-month program that is harder than jail <laughs> and, and having completed three months and then turning around knowing you have to go back and start again. Like, I was already a quarter of the way there, but I guess I needed 15 months. I humbled myself to the process and did my best to ignore the Jesus part. I wasn't open to that at that time. And this time I made it the full 12 months. 15 months in total. After rehab, I started practicing meditation and going to yoga classes. I read spiritual books by Thomas Merton, Thich Nhat Hanh, and Ram Das. I studied the teachings of the Buddha and the ancient yogis of India. Yet it didn't take long for old habits to creep back into my life. I went back to the party and back to the drinking. My intentions are murky, but emerging with the surface. So here's the updated intentions, right? My intentions were murky, but emerging with the surface. So I was getting clear on them, like they were starting to show up in reality, uh, but they were clouded. I had moments where I felt loved on the yoga mat and in the meditation hall. I had moments where I was loving. I started to mend relationships with my sister, my father, and my mother. I had moments where I felt close to God in my intellectual pursuits of studying the religion and practices of Eastern philosophy. I was healing, but I was holding on to a lot of suffering and blame. And when I drank, which I did go back to drinking, I'd end up inflicting a lot of that pain on myself and others. You see how they're... They're kind of coming to the surface, but my story and my pain and it's holding me back or the patterns are still deeply ingrained. Okay. I moved through a series of relationships hoping that women could save me from my years of self-destructive behavior. And when I'd find out that they couldn't, I'd move on to the next relationship. The same relationship, but with a different person. It hurt but I was learning about trust the hard way. I moved around a bunch, hoping that a new location could save me from my addictive patterns. It didn't seem to work, but I kept trying, you know, hoping that it might. Like maybe I just hadn't found the perfect place for me yet. And it hurt. But I was learning about the truth when it comes to presence. God, the presence that is never in absence. Well, I was learning the truth about presence, meaning wherever you go, there you are. Y'all have heard that one before. 
I started teaching yoga. Wow, what is this? Some voice inside of me, right? Wow, what is this? When I was in front of the class, I could feel the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, move through me. Of course, at the time, I didn't use that language, but when I would teach, I would become a different person, more of the person that I am today, and more of the person that I've always been underneath the surface of it all. You've heard me talk about this concept of the inner knower. Like the first time I took a drink of alcohol as a 13-year-old kid, I knew that wasn't for me. And I, I, that voice stayed with me the whole time amongst all of the debauchery and self-destructive behavior and harm. And that voice was like, this isn't it. This isn't the life for you. That's the inner knower. That's my Lord and Savior, my, my guide, my wonderful counselor, <laughs> my inner knower. underneath the surface of it all. Teaching yoga made me feel whole. The experience was powerful. And yet I was still a broken boy who had not yet developed the capacity to be steady as a man, a man of faith with the capacity and courage to embody the spirit in the face of adversity. I would try, I would study, I would practice, and then I would party, I would get high, I would hurt others again, I would hurt myself again, I would apologize, and then I would repeat the cycle. Addiction is repeating the same pattern over and over despite it producing negative results. And I kept going back to that cycle. That's the addiction. And the recovery is learning to create a new relationship to that cycle. Why I would keep doing this, engaging in this pattern was confusing even to me. And so in turn, it must have been confusing to others, especially anyone who would see me while I was in the spirit, in the seat of the teacher, trying to hold steady as a man of faith while still holding on to the patterns of my party boy past. I kept showing up to teach, to practice, and to learn. During this whole process, I met someone, She was practicing yoga, which seemed to be a good influence towards my learning to hold steady. We traveled together, we danced together, we dreamed together, we created together. And then, creation, surprise, we're having a baby. Becoming a father has been the greatest blessing and has also been the ultimate test in steadiness. I had my moments in early fatherhood where I was stable. I started playing basketball again. I took a crack at being an entrepreneur and felt the calling to level up in the leadership department. But being a new father in a strained business relationship with more responsibilities, knowing full well that I will have to stop drinking to hold this kind of pressure, was too much for me. So I checked out instead of leaning in. I went back to what I know, the DJ party life. Fast money and late nights, chasing bottles and validation from the scene. And once again, it only left me feeling empty. There's that pattern, y'all, right? There's that routine. There's that cycle, the addictive behavior. I wanted to be a good father, a successful business person, a leader with integrity, And I knew what I had to do. 
and so I finally put the bottle down. I met a new mentor who was instrumental in helping me make the best decisions that were uh, helpful in my transformation, instrumental in my transformation. I discovered a new practice that was helpful too. He is a Sikh, or Sikh, they say, so turban and beard. and, And so I opened up myself to the possibility that I might be a Sikh too because I had experienced this healing and learned so much uh, as far as techniques, um, spiritual techniques, transformational life practices, and I thought, this must be my, my calling. I was moved by Guru Nanak, the first guru of the Sikh faith, and the Sikh faith. I would wake up at 4 a.m. to pray and practice, and this became my rehab, and it worked. I learned to be vulnerable in front of other men, to open up and share my heart. I did this in men's camps and recovery circles. We opened a studio space or spiritual center that we called the Dharma Temple, and in just a few years, our business was thriving. In my newfound sobriety, I was able to help a lot of people. And I stumbled once, thinking that I could manage my drinking. But it doesn't work. It never works. My past came rushing back in and knocked me off my feet. I got the message, loud and clear, and left the bottle behind. This time for good. After I put the bottle down, my yoga practice became very steady. I headed out on pilgrimage to India, a dream of mine since I was a boy. I prayed there, spoke to warriors and sages, cleansed my body in sacred waters, climbed the Himalayas, and basked in the sounds of Tibetan monks chanting. It was everything I had imagined as a child, and more. I returned home steady and ready to share with our community, to teach more, with opportunities being presented to me to go and teach in different cities and different countries. I wrote a book about how Guru Nanak and his prayer Japji changed my life, merging with the infinite. And I started to see myself traveling to India every year, maybe even getting a little place to live there, or perhaps even living with my family in Asia part-time. The world, for once, seems like a benevolent place filled with opportunities for prosperity and growth. I start to see my intentions as, I'm here to teach. I'm here to gather followers and to influence. I'm here to be successful in business. I'm here to be a good partner. I'm here to be a good father. I'm here to be a good Sikh, which has its challenges because this part of my life is confusing to my partner and at times to our community at the Dharma Temple. Then a series of challenges combined with a very real vision make it clear that I'm not called to take vows as a Sikh. And not too long after my return from India, the world around me starts to crumble. Funny how that works in life, eh? When we feel like we've grown a lot and that we've had a life-changing experience and now we're strong enough to face anything, and that's when adversity really shows up. Almost like we thought what we were doing all of this time would make life easier, all this work would make life easier, when really what was happening is we were training for when life gets really hard. A friend of mine passed away, and then another one. And one of my teachers who turned me on to the Sikh faith and kundalini yoga turns out to be a violent, 
an abusive uh, person, not to me, but in the past. This is a surprise to me and causes me to question my mentor who was there for me at the beginning of my transformation. I'm left feeling lost, confused, and betrayed. I try to keep teaching, I really do, but it's really hard. And then the pandemic hits. We're forced to close our business doors, and not only is my source of income dissolved, but our community, the space of healing, is dissolved as well. It's heartbreaking. I try to practice, but it just doesn't feel right. I try to teach, but it's the same. It's just off. I do what I can to support people in recovery from addiction while I'm slogging through the depression, the doubt, the apathy. I decide it's time to take off my turban and cut my hair after years of growing it as a symbol of faith. I change my name back and forth from the nickname of my youth, Reno, to the spiritual name that has supported me along this transformational journey, Tiago Prem. I'm so lost in all of this. Thankfully, we moved into a new house with neighbors who kept me in the light. We played music together, we ate together, we played together. What a lifeline to spend a lot of my time, you know. Uh, it, it was a lifeline for me as I spent a lot of my time questioning the purpose of life. And would it be better if I just wasn't here anymore? Even in my years of battling addiction, I did not have suicidal thoughts like these. But I kept showing up. To live another day because of my daughter and the financial strain was real and the emotional strain was bleak and heavy two more friends passed away more restrictions and more mandates and summer comes the return of the sun solstice right and I find community, thank God, I find community again playing basketball in Vancouver because they'd closed the gyms. And when they closed the gyms, but they opened the outdoor courts, everybody went to the court, all ages, all skill levels. The city became alive with hoopers. And it helped so much with my depression, breathed life and, and spirit into me. Plus, my daughter at this time was old enough to appreciate the game, so we would play together in the driveway, at the park, 21, around the world, bump, you name it. Still no yoga, no devotional music, and no teaching. I stretch every day so that I can keep up with the 20-somethings on the basketball court. The ones who say, how old are you? When I'm your age, I hope I can play like you. <laughs> but that's it. I was finding it difficult to love and be loved. At least I kept up with my sobriety, despite the pain and pressure. That was growth for me. Trying to look at the bright side, you know? Normally, when things get this hard, I would go running for the bar. Not this time progress. I'm still distant from my spirituality. No prayers, just simple breathing. No more recovery meetings. I don't lead them and I don't attend them. And even that is a challenge for me, just not showing up. 
bringing up the pain of the past, still super lost and in need of healing. Nothing to give, but I try. Let's take a moment here and share with you. I have a new program. It's called the Quick Fix Six. In the program, I share some of the techniques that I practice to get back on my feet and doing yoga again. They're simple practices and super effective. They come in video, audio, and a digital ebook format. And I think they'll really serve you if you've experienced depression or if you've experienced addiction during this pandemic. And you could just use something to push against to bring you back into some resemblance of a fullness of life. If that speaks to you, please go to tiagoprem.com, click the Courses tab, and get yourself signed up for the Quick Fix 6. If you could use extra support, just sign up for mentorship with me. That's a great way to have a sponsor, somebody in your life who can see where you are in the work that you're doing and encourage you and cheer you on. That's really helped me a lot, and I would be honored to help you. You can also apply there at tiagoprem.com. Bless you. With the state of the world and the pandemic, we decided to leave Canada. We packed up everything we owned in three weeks. It was as equally exhausting as it was exciting. We sold what we could, cleaned all the nooks and corners of our family home, got new passports for fear that if we didn't soon, we would be forced to inject a microchip a la revelations into our skin, the mark of the beast. And we said goodbye to everyone. I know I'm going to miss my sister and my nephew and her partner, my neighbors who really helped me in a dark time and a handful of friends, even though I don't really see them anymore or that often because of kids and families, etc. Some folks who call us anti-this or anti-that or worry about whether we're equipped to homeschool our daughter, you know, that kind of feedback comes through. I'm going to miss the basketball community, but most friends are going to play indoors anyways, and I don't have the credentials to go with them. I mean, I've got a mean jump shot, but that means nothing if you don't have the gold star on your healthcare card that will get you into the gym. Plus, in Canada, the outdoor basketball season doesn't last, and so it's time to go. We arrive in the jungles of Costa Rica, and I start practicing yoga again, a strong physical practice. No devotion, just muscles and sweat. We swim every day in pristine turquoise blue oceans. We eat tropical fruit, some varieties I've never even heard of, let alone tasted, and consume a simple daily diet of rice and beans. It's wild, hot, and humid. We searched for a new family home, and with our budget, we settled on a little shack amongst the mighty vines and trees of the tropical jungle. It's so humid there that all of our electronics, computers, and recording equipment start to merge with the foliage of the rainforest. It feels good to be there, connected with nature. And then I got sick. Sicker than I've ever been before. Thoughts of dying in the jungle start to enter my mind. I'm short of breath, I can't sleep, and I've completely lost my appetite, which for me is a major sign of illness. 
My partner takes care of me. And it gets to the point where we wonder whether we should admit me to the hospital or not. Okay? So I'm having this coughing bout where I can't catch an inhale. It's really intense. Visions of my friend who died because of complications with a ventilator move across my mind's eye. I tell my partner I'm not going to the hospital. I just need a minute to calm down. She leaves me alone in the room. With my head between my knees, gasping for air, I pray. And who do I pray to? Jesus. I didn't know I was going to. It's just where I went automatically in the face of death. I knew in that moment if I were to die, the only being that could go with me, that could really comfort me, was my Savior from my youth. I was able to inhale. I calmed down. And I knew I was going to live. I was reminded of Bob Marley, who our daughter is named after, and how he had had such a devout faith in Rastafari when he was young and healthy, and then how he allegedly gave his life to Jesus as he took his last breaths in fear of what was to come. We moved house, got out of the jungle to a place with air conditioning to try and break the fever. I stayed in bed for days with no appetite, popping Tabson, a Central American version of Advil, like candies to keep the pains and fever at bay. While I was laid up in bed, a friend who I had recently met before we left Canada inspired me through his posts on social media to look into some of the online pastors who were sharing their messages of hope and faith. I started to consciously do a simple breathing practice in the mornings. My breath was frail and shallow, which was a big deal for a person who has spent two decades practicing classical yoga. Slowly, the commitment to breathing deeply started to open my throat and open my chest and lungs again. After weeks of not eating, I started drinking bone broth, which at the time was an ethical dilemma for a vegan. I'm amazed at how the soup makes me feel despite it having animal parts in it. It works wonders and starts to grant me enough energy to get from my bed to the shower or, the kit, or to the kitchen to fix one of my daily eucalyptus steams, which are instrumental in helping me open my lungs. So putting boiling water in a, in a bowl with eucalyptus oil and then putting a towel over my head and breathing this in. I would do this every two hours just to try and keep the lungs open so that I didn't have to go to the hospital. The miracle broth, the bone broth, causes me to question a lot of the nutrition information I've been, fed, I've been fed from spiritual and yoga circles over the years, and in many cases have been feeding myself. <laughs> I spend di my days in bed reading Weston A. Price, Dr. Kate Shanahan, and Sally Fallon Morell, and reflecting on the nourishing traditions of my ancestors. I feel the call to start listening to Guru Nanak again, and play the Japji prayer while I do my morning breathing practice. My ears and heart are opened to another pastor named Erwin McManus who inspires me on an even deeper level of faith. Then the morning prayer of Japji is followed by inspiring gospel music. A song called Jaire blows my heart open and becomes a part of my daily routine. I can feel God in every cell. A major healing is taking place. I feel loved. I weep tears of joy daily, 
and prayers of please save me become prayers of gratitude, thanking Jesus that he has never left me and never will. Finally, I get strong enough to leave my bed, to cross the border into Panama, overland, and travel across country with some friends who have offered to drive our family further south to the Pacific side so that I can get well. I spend my days in Panama walking the beach, practicing yoga, reading the Bible, listening to gospel music, and soaking up the teachings of Erwin McManus. In hearing him speak, I am feeling the call to teach again. I reconnect with my intentions. I want to be loved. I want to learn to really love. I want to be free from addiction. I want to really know Jesus with deep, loving devotion. I want to be healed. I want to serve others in their, in their healing. And I recognize that I am a living embodiment of all of it. We decide from Panama, once I'm feeling strong and, and renewed, rejuvenated, that we'll travel to Mexico, and I'm ready to go back to work. A new vision, a new website, and a new and improved message. And yet doubt nips at my heels. What if people don't get it? What if they won't listen because you're talking about Jesus? What if they accuse you of changing again? Every morning I take my doubt to prayer. I sit with the scriptures. I listen to and read the inspiring work of Rachel Held Evans. I start writing again. I obsessively soak up every message I can find by Erwin McManus, Michael Beckwith, and Holly and Stephen Furtick. I listen to gospel music all day and every day, and not because I have to or I'm supposed to, but because it continues to heal me on a profound and integrated level. I start to feel the call to get baptized. I'm feeling stronger and more steady than I've ever been, and I realize I am living my intention, that this journey I've been on is my message. It's my testimony a living example of how God has worked through me to bring healing, and I'm being called to share my journey with whoever has ears to hear and eyes to see. I know my coming home to Jesus may be triggering for some folks and or confusing for others, but in the short period that I've been open, openly sharing about my faith in Jesus, I've made some inspiring connections with folks. People who, just like me, thought they would never return to Jesus, to faith, to the church. And hearing their confessions and emails and DMs and instant messages, I know that my heart is exactly where it needs to be and is taking the necessary next step. Recently, I asked in my morning prayer time, what's my mission from here? How can I serve? And this is what came through. Represent Jesus in a new way. Redefine Christianity. Redefine recovery. Redefine spirituality. Representing Jesus. Redefining Christianity, recovery, and spirituality. And I'm here for it. Plus, on the other side of this sickness and healing, I recognize that what began as my intentions, they are my reality. Not I want to be loved, but I am loved. I am here to really love. 
I am free from addiction. I really do know Jesus with deep loving devotion. I am healed, and I'm here to be a part of the healing for people in all walks of life, representing Jesus, redefining Christianity, redefining recovery, redefining spirituality. And at the heart of it is representing that childlike faith that was my inner knower guiding me through all the ups and downs, all the trials and tribulations. I've been a living example of a million little miracles. It's been a constant revealing, one that has brought me back to faith by grace. And thank you, Jesus. It feels good to be home. Thank you so much for watching the show and listening to the show, everyone. It's a great honor to be able to share my faith and my mission. Um, and, you know, if you love the show, please share it with whoever you think may benefit from it. Remember, you can watch it on YouTube. You can watch and listen on Spotify, Apple Music. If you love the show, share it with your friends. If you want to read the pieces, tiagaprem.com or follow me on Medium. I also have meditations happening on Insight Timer. You can get those there. Courses on tiagaprem.com, opportunities for mentorship, etc. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with me. It's your listening ears and all of your comments, your ratings, your reviews, and the work that I share that keeps me going forward. So thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week for another edition of Revealing the Diamond.